Good morning. Anybody ever read the Bible and feel like the Bible uses archaic or antiquated language that you don't really understand, like starts to use metaphors or different words that you're like, man, we don't really use those words anymore. I feel like that sometimes. I read the Bible and I'm going, man, I got to look that up in my Bible dictionary. I got to look at Bible scholars or I got to Google that, see what Wikipedia says, you know, all kinds of different Bible scholarship. But this morning is not that morning because John is going to use some really clear language that transcends uh, space and time and geography and culture to help us understand who Jesus is. And it's the type of language that we use all the time these days. Motel 6 will leave a light on for you. Some of the bluegrass songs that I love so much talk about the cold gray light of dawn. People say the lights are on, but nobody's home, and people say that somebody is in the dark about something. We talk about the light at the end of the tunnel and hope that that light is not a train coming at us. We talk about people shedding light on the matter or seeing things in a different light. We talk about somebody scaring the daylights out of us. People might even say that this weekend was lit, hashtag lit. Is that what the kids are saying these days? I don't know. I'm not even sure what that means. My weekend was not lit. I go to bed at 930 This afternoon when you're watching the Super Bowl, you might say that someone gets lit up when they get hit hard. You might have a little light reading this afternoon, a little light lunch before your big meal this evening. You might give something the green light. Abba once sang, Friday night and the lights are low. You like that one, don't you? Somebody even once sang about afternoon delight, but I think that's something different than what we're talking about today. Talk about a deer in the headlights. Talk about punching somebody's lights out. We talk about light and dark all the time, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And it's great for me personally because it's it's normal language that we use every day. We experience light and dark every day. And so what John is going to do is help us understand who Jesus is and his role in the world by using this metaphor of light and dark. And it's really important for John. Uh, John talks about Jesus as the light of the world in John chapter 1, John chapter 8 and 9. Jesus claims that he is the light of the world twice. Jesus talks about light and darkness in John chapter 12. It's all over the place. So it's so important that we understand what is meant by Jesus as the light of the world or what Jesus means when he claims he's the light of the world or what John means when he tells us that Jesus is is the light of the world and under in order to understand the picture that John is painting in his gospel and even the gospel and and what it means for us here today. So here's what I would love for you to do. I'd love for you to open your Bibles if you have them. Uh, and if you don't have them, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. We always put the scripture up here on the screen so you can read along with us. You can also look on with a neighbor. Use your iPad or your iPhone. And we're going to be in John chapter 1. And we're going to be covering verses 6 through 13 today. But as we read, we're going to start in John chapter 1 verse 1 where we began last week, just so we can get kind of a broad picture, a broad context of what John is doing. But before we get there, it's important that we review. Remember, John states in John chapter 20 that his goal, his aim in his gospel is to exhort us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. We're going to put some different language around that this morning just so just so we can kind of put it into a little bit 
different kind of language so that it really sinks into our mind. And that different language is this. John wants us to put our active trust in Jesus as Savior and divine King. That's a King with authority. That's Lord and Master, somebody who actually has claim on my life right now. He wants us to place our active trust in Jesus as Savior divine and divine king, and by doing so, have life in his name. That's what he's convincing us to do. And then last week, we talked about the major themes that we're going to see throughout the book of John. We're going to see themes of life and light. The word becoming flesh is what we talked about. All of God, his message and his mission, became uh, dwelt in flesh in the person of Jesus. And today, we're talking about light and dark. For those who might be joining us for the first time, the book of John is simply a biography of the life of Christ written by his cousin, uh, a guy named John. John began to follow Jesus when he was about 16 or 17 years old. And when he was in his 80s, he thought, you know what, I'm probably getting ready to wrap it up. I might as well write down a written record of all the things that I experienced when I lived with Jesus as a child and, 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 and then walked with him for three years. And all the most important things about his life. And John makes this point at the end of chapter 21 that I think is fascinating. He says, if the world itself was a library, if the world itself was a library, it couldn't hold all the books that could be written about Jesus. If we wrote everything down that he ever did. So John writes these things down in particular in order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So now John is going to move on to this concept of light and dark to help us understand who Jesus is and what he's up to in the world. And before we read the scripture, I would love for us to bow and pray together. So let's do that. God, we invite you here this morning to be near to us, to open our eyes, to shed light even on your word. God, we declare together even now and invite you just as we've sung that Spirit of God, you are welcome in this place, welcome to convict, encourage, exhort, comfort. God, bring to light today what you want us to see about Jesus. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen. John chapter 1, verse 1 reads this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's just stop there for one quick second and clarify something. This John that John is talking about is not himself. Remember that this John, who is a cousin of Jesus, his parents were Zebedee and Salome, he only refers to himself in his biography of Jesus as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never refers to himself by name. So he's talking about a different John here, who is also a cousin of Jesus, by the way, in order to make that more confusing for you. This guy's parents were Zacharias and, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. 
So this is a different John. And there's going to be one more John in the book of John, by the way. It's Peter's dad. Peter's dad was named John. So just so we can be as clear as mud here, this is not the John that John is talking about in the book of John. We got it. Okay, good. So in verses 15 and onward, John is going to talk about this other John, this John, John the Baptist, his role in the Jesus story and God's grand redemptive plan. So we're not going to get into that this morning because we'll be uh, in that text in two weeks, I think. So we're just going to skip right by the John that's not the John that's writing, the same cousin of Jesus that's a different cousin from different parents. Okay, perfect. You got it. It's awesome. Okay, keep going. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, we mentioned this last week, but I, but I want us to see it even in greater detail is that John is using very deliberate language, very specific language here, on purpose, so that we see his account of the life of Jesus, his gospel, his biography of the life of Jesus, through the lens of Genesis chapter 1, God's creation account. So we're actually going to read the first several verses of Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. If you'd like to, keep your finger where you are in John and go back to the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Again, you don't have to turn there because the scripture's up here on the screen. But look what Genesis 1 says about God's creation story. He says, in the beginning, the author of scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Keep going. And God said, let there be, say this word with me. That's what we're talking about today. And there was, say it. And God saw that the was good. And God separated the from the. God called the light day. And he called the, and, he, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Do you see the similarity in language there? Do you see how close it is? I mean, I highlighted it for you, so it's not really that complicated. But it is so close in language. And this is no accident in the book of John. John didn't get to the end of his book and go, oh my gosh. It sounds just like Genesis 1. John wants us to use Genesis chapter 1 as a lens through which to see Jesus and his role in the world. I'm going to say that again, and, and we're, and we're going to talk about it just a little bit more. He wants us to take Genesis chapter 1 and, and superimpose it over John chapter 1 and see John chapter 1 through the lens of God's creative power as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 1. Let's get really specific. Look up here on the screen. In John chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning is used to start both of those stories. Now, that's not accidental. The people who were reading John chapter 1 back then would have read that and gone, oh yes, that's exactly how Genesis chapter 1 starts. So for example, if I started a story this way, once upon a time, would you know what I was about to tell you? A fairy tale, right? A fairy tale. that You would know the genre of literature. I'm about to tell you a fairy tale. Or if I was to tell you a story that began this way, when the game kicked off, or when the puck dropped, 
you know that I was going to tell you a story about a sporting event. That would be football and then something strange where people strap sharp things to the bottom of their feet and skate around and hit things at one another, which is very weird. But you wouldn't know what I was about to tell you if I started a story once upon a time or when the puck drops or when the game kicks off. In the same way, when John starts his account in the beginning, everybody knows this is a creation story. This is an account of creation because this is exactly how the creation account begins in Genesis chapter 1. Both John and the account in Genesis use this word earth and world as well. Talk about the earth and world. In Genesis, uh, the word is used twice and in John chapter 1 it's used four times. They both talk about darkness. Genesis 1 talks about darkness twice. John talks about darkness twice. But look, look, look at how often... Genesis 1 and John 1, just those first few verses, like the first five verses of Genesis 1 and then the first 13 verses of John chapter 1, look how often both of them talk about light, 5 and 7. Five times in Genesis chapter 1, that word light is repeated over and over. And seven times in John chapter 1, it's repeated. So here's the deal. We cannot understand what it means that Jesus is the light of the world unless we understand the role of light in Genesis chapter 1. We have to understand what's up with light, what's up with darkness, and what's going on there in Genesis chapter 1 in order to understand what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. So, so we have just two points this morning, just two things, and it's a comparison between Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 to help us understand what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're jotting down notes, jot this down. The first thing is this. In Genesis 1, sorry, Genesis 1 is a lens that helps us see Jesus, the light of the world. Genesis 1 is a lens that helps us see Jesus, the light of the world. We're going to take Genesis 1 and superimpose it over the top, like I said, of John chapter 1. So here's the first thing I want you to write down. In Genesis 1, throw that up here on the screen. In Genesis 1, before there was light, there was only darkness. In Genesis 1, before there was light, there was only darkness. Remember how Genesis 1 begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. There wasn't kind of a little bit of a glimmer of light. It wasn't dusk. It wasn't dawn. It was pitch black. There was no light at all. Only darkness before God intervened and spoke light into existence. This is the role of light and the nature of light in Genesis 1. And the same is true in John chapter 1 when we talk about Jesus as the light of the world. In John chapter 1, before there was the light, there was only darkness. Before there was the light, there was only darkness. And in this particular case, what, what John means by darkness is the absence of God or rebellion against God or the state of our hearts towards God, the state of our lives towards God. He's saying that those things are entirely dark. There is no light at all. I want to say this a couple different ways because it's really, really tough to hear this morning. Before Jesus enters in 
to the world. And before Jesus and God intervenes in the life of a sinner, there is only darkness at all. There is no light. Man is not kind of good and has really great potential. Man was made in the image of God, rebelled against God, and wrecked it such that there is no light at all, only darkness. I'm going to show it to you in the text here in a minute. But there is no light at all, only darkness. Some of us think that our sin is circumstantial. We believe that when we're in certain circumstances with certain sets of temptations, we sin. That's not true. Your sin is symptomatic. Your sin is inside your heart. Think about all the times that you sin, run away from God, and do things that God would not have you do. What's the common denominator? You are. Because wherever you go, there you are. And because you're a sinner, you just get into situations and you're going to sin regardless of the circumstances. That's what is going on in our hearts. That's the state of who we are. We are, we are in total darkness before the light of Christ shines into our hearts. Let's use another metaphor. Let's talk about being sick versus having allergies. If you've got allergies, if you're exposed to a certain, you know, you're exposed to pollen or you're exposed to a peanut or whatever it is, then something goes wrong and you get sick. And you, and you exhibit symptoms as a result of the circumstances you're in. But sin is not like an allergy. Sin is like a sickness. It's something inside of you. It's not related to the circumstances around you. And our hearts are totally dark. The Bible says we are dead to God before Jesus shines the light into our hearts. We are in total darkness. We can't perceive spiritual truth. We can't know God until or unless the light of the world shines into our hearts. Now, I want to show you in the passage what is happening when the light of the world shines 2,000 years ago and Jesus enters into the world. Look up here on the screen. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Now, the light, Jesus, was in the world. And the world was made through him. We already established that last week, that all things he created by the word of his power, he upholds all things. This is Jesus. The world should have known exactly who he was, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to the nation of Israel. He came to the Jews, for the Jews, as a Jew. And even those guys didn't recognize him. And the world itself, the world that he created, rejected him and resisted him and didn't want any part of him. So the question is this, why in the world would we reject or resist the light? Why in the world? Because light gives life and light brings hope and light illuminates things and light reveals things and light, light helps us see things. Light is so, so good. So why is it that when the light of the world shined into the darkness 2,000 years ago, his own people rejected him and the world rejected him? And don't be mistaken, the world still rejects him. The world still resists him. So why in the world would the, would the world would you and I, would our hearts reject the light? Well, simply put, nobody likes Las Vegas during the day. 
You know, but he likes Las Vegas during the day. So stick with me here. Stick with me here. When I was a kid, like 11, 12 years old, we moved to Phoenix from uh, New Mexico at the time. We're living in New Mexico, and we moved to Phoenix. And I started playing soccer in Phoenix. And every year, we used to go to the Silver State Shootout, which was a tournament in Las Vegas. It was like five hours away. And at the time, Las Vegas was marketing itself as like a family-friendly environment. Seriously, it was like, hey, we've got these things and these shows and we've got an aquarium and it's great for families. And as like a 12, 13-year-old, I didn't know, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm not a guy that's like, you know what, I really like blackjack. Like, and I was 13, so, but I, all I wanted to do was go play soccer. So we show up and we stayed, I remember we stayed at the Circus Circus when I was like 12, 13 years old and we're gonna play in the soccer tournament and we get there and the Circus Circus is just, uh, is just, I'll talk about the Circus Circus some other time. Anyway, we stayed at this hotel called the Circus Circus. And I remember uh, as we, we checked into our room, we checked into the hotel, and we were going down to dinner. And my dad explained to me that we were going to walk through the casino and out onto the street and go to like Panda Express or something for dinner. I don't even know what it was. And he said, hey, when we walk through the casino, you are not to go anywhere other than right by me. In fact, we're going to hold hands and walk through this casino. I'm like, dude, I'm 13. He's like, we're going to hold hands and walk through this casino. I'm like, this is fantastic. You are not to look at a slot machine. You are not to stop. You know in Monopoly, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go to jail, go directly to jail. That's what my dad explained to me. And he said, and we're going to walk very quickly through this casino because if you even so much as sniff a slot machine, there will be five men with guns who handcuff you and take you into a small room and interrogate you. And I'm thinking... This is a very family-friendly environment. I really, really like this. And so then we get out onto the street after walking through the casino with my dad. And out on the street, people are doing this to me, right? You ever been to Vegas? They do this to you. And they grab, they, they take a little stack of cards that promote prostitution. And they go like this. And you don't, you don't know what they're doing or what they're giving to you. And you look down. And they smack something in front of you. You look down and you're like, whoa. I don't, like, I don't want any part of that. Like, I'm just trying to get some orange chicken at Panda Express. Again, a very family-friendly environment. Like, this is not, this is not like how this was marketed to me. And it was after that that Vegas started to change their marketing tune. And you know what Vegas' marketing tune is now? You know what the song, what happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. Finally, somebody's thinking, right? Finally, somebody's at least admitting what's going on there. And nobody likes Las Vegas during the day because all that not-so-friendly or family-friendly stuff goes on at night. Like, nobody travels to Vegas because I really love the day life there. No, you love the night life there. Like, my wife and I went, we, we had been married, like, for a year. And, we went, and we're not, like, you know, go out and gamble people. I think I put a nickel in a slot machine. I'm like, well... I'm not getting that nickel back, right? Like, that's as much as we did. We went, to a, we went to an aquarium while we were there. We went to a show. We went to a nice dinner. And, like, we're in our hotel room at 930 watching, like, you know, 10 Things I Hate About You or something stupid like that. I don't know what it was. Like, and we, we would go out in Vegas during the day and, like, walk around in Las Vegas. And it's just a dump. Like, it's horrible, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of, like, remnants of stuff going on. When the sun rises on that place, ain't nobody likes it. 
Like, it's no fun at all. In fact, in fact, I actually Googled Las Vegas this week and hit images. You know, on Google, you can hit images. It was four pages. I am not kidding. It was four pages of images before I saw a picture of Las Vegas during the day. Every other one was a picture of Las Vegas at night, all the lights, all the stuff. You Google Toronto, you hit images, you see all kinds of pictures of Toronto during the day because we live in a very family-friendly city. Las Vegas is not so family-friendly. So here's the deal. When the sun rises on Vegas, it reveals all kinds of problems that are going on there. And it's easy to hide some of those problems at night when it's dark, when there's, when there's, when there's places that you can tuck yourself into and do the stuff that's not so family-friendly that a lot of people go to Las Vegas. I'm not anti-Las Vegas. I'm just saying that there's a lot of that stuff that's going on there. What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas, by the way. <laughs> but when the, when the sun shines on Vegas, when the light begins to reveal what's going on there, ain't nobody likes it. Everybody runs to their hotel room. Every, everybody runs away. Everybody wants to be in Las Vegas at night because they're able to get away with stuff. They're able to give themselves permission to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. See, listen to me. This is why people reject Jesus, the light of the world. Because we do not like it when the light of the world enters into our life and reveals what's really going on in our heart. We don't like it when Jesus shows up and begins one after another all through the book of John. In John chapter 3, it's Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, it's the woman at the well. One after another, he begins to shine a light on our deepest need for God. He shines a light on our need for a Savior. He shines a light on the filth and funk that goes on in our heart. He shines a light on the fact that we sin not because we're in particular circumstances, but because we're sinners, he shines a light on the fact that we've resisted God, that we've run away from God. In this particular case, he shines a light on the fact that even the world, even, even his own people rejected and resisted him. And now is no different. Our world, and even sometimes as Christians, as the people of God, we reject the light because we don't want to have to deal with what the light is going to reveal. See, in Genesis chapter 1, before there was light, there was only darkness. In John chapter 1, same way. Before there was light, there was only darkness. There was only darkness. And we run from it because we don't want to have to deal with it. Now, the human condition is not just something that the Bible reveals. It's not just something that the Bible puts its finger on. This has been going on for a very long time. In fact, Plato wrote this. Look up here on the screen. Plato wrote this. Look up here on the screen. Thank you. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. When men are afraid of the light. When we're afraid to disclose who we really are, when we're afraid to let God reveal that, when we're afraid to let Jesus shine his light on our hearts and the depth of our need for him, that's the real tragedy. That's when we're really in trouble. Because then all that darkness is just going to stay darkness. That terminal 
spiritual illness, so to speak, is just going to stay terminal. There's nothing we can do about it until the light shines into the darkness and discloses it for us, reveals it for us. This is the first step in what we call the regeneration of the heart, and what we call salvation, and what we call justification, justification before God, accepting Jesus as one Savior to say, you know what, I am going to let Jesus, as the light of the world, reveal the squirreliness and dysfunctionality and ugliness and sin and rebellion. I'm going to let him reveal that. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it is the first step. Let's keep going. Second truth from Genesis 1 is this. In Genesis 1, light was the first step in God's creative process. In Genesis 1, light was the first step in God's creative process. Remember that Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And then God created fish and stars and birds and the coyotes that have been running across my backyard for the last couple of days, which is terrifying, and snow and sand and sun. And God created the cosmos and God created the universe and light was the first step in that process. Now, in John chapter 1, listen, because this is great, the light is the first step in God's recreative process. When God introduces Jesus, the Word incarnate, the light of the world onto the scene, it is the first step in his recreative process because praise God that he doesn't just leave us with our sin exposed and our rebellion revealed and the consequences of our resistance of the light and say, good luck. That's not how God works because he is gracious and kind and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What he does is he introduces the light and says, let me expose your need for you. Let me reveal to you what's going on in your heart, really what's going on, where you can't run away from it. Let the light of the world shine a light on every dark place in your heart. And now, let's start the restoration process. Let's start the recreative process. And it begins with you and me. Look what John writes. He says, but to all who did receive him, so some rejected the light, some resisted the light, but to all who did receive him, this word could also be translated as welcome or embrace. So for all those who welcomed him, for all those who embraced him, who Believed, who placed their active trust in Jesus, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now I love that. Now I love that. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A couple things going on in this text that are interesting to note. The first is this. We are not in need of kind of a little bit of a revamp. Kind of a little bit of a little bit of TLC, some some new paint, you know, a new facade. That's not what we're in need of. We're in need of new life. We're in need of rebirth again because we were dead 
to God before dead in our trespasses and sins. We need rebirth. There was no light at all before Jesus. So we needed the light. We needed rebirth. And then there are two conditions for those who begin the regeneration process, who are regenerated before God and given salvation, justified before him, sanctified over time, and then eventually glorified before him. Those two conditions is that we welcome the light and receive the light, which is challenging because nobody wants the light to shine on their sin and rebellion. Nobody wants to be exposed before God, but we have to welcome and embrace the light. And the second thing that John is exhorting us to do is believe in his name. And place our active trust in Jesus. And when he does so, and when we do so, he gives us the right to become children of God. Now, the Bible talks all about our rights as children of God. It talks all about what we're given as children of God. We're given inheritance as co-heirs with Christ. We're given everything we need for life and godliness. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We're now brothers and sisters in Christ in this community of faith. We are adopted into the family of God according to Ephesians 1. And all it takes is welcoming the light and saying, okay, reveal what's going on in me, expose what's going on in me, and now I place my active trust in you. Just to close, I want to I want to switch metaphors here and use a a different metaphor uh, to help us understand how critical it is that we welcome the light and allow the light to expose our need. Uh, some of you have have uh, gone to the doctor, even some of you recently, and they go, "Yeah, we found something that we don't really like. We found a lump." We found sounds something that seems a little odd, seems a little weird. We're going to do an MRI. Uh, we're going to shine some light on what's happening in your body. Uh, my mom had that conversation with a doctor about 15 years ago, 16 years ago now probably. We're going to shine some light on, on what's going on in your body. Uh, when they did that, they found that my mom had two different types of cancers in her body, two different types of tumors. And how do you respond to a doctor when they tell you, we found tumors, so we're going to go get them out, and then we're going to give you chemotherapy to make sure that they don't come back again. How do we respond? You jerk. No. We say, thank you. Thank you for revealing that to me. Because before, I was totally in the dark. I had no idea that that was happening in my body. Thank you for revealing that for me. Thank you for showing that to me. Thank you. And then the doctor gets in there and they take the tumors out and then they begin to put you under treatment. And then my mom, in this particular case, it was a great thing because she came out the other end and she's been cancer-free now for 15 years or so. My dad told me a story uh, right after the fact, um, about a year, year and a half after my mom had her surgery and went through her treatment, they brought her back to the hospital to do a little interview with the doctor, a guy named Dr. Magrina, did a little interview for a magazine with Dr. Magrina. And my dad, as my dad tells the story, Dr. Magrina and my mother could not stop laughing and joking. Couldn't stop long enough 
for them to take a picture. They kept telling my mother and Dr. Magrina to shut up. Like, you guys are just talking too much. Like, could you stand and smile for the camera? And they're talking back and forth, and they're hugging, and they're celebrating, talking with my dad about all the good things that came out of Dr. Magrina shining a light on what was going on in my mom's body. See, this is the same idea with our sin situation and our brokenness and our rebellion. We take glory in and we celebrate and we laugh with the one Jesus who shined a light on our dire, dire need for God. Who shined a light on our circumstances, who shined a light on our rebellion and our resistance. And not just that, he didn't leave us just as the doctor didn't leave my mom to just fend for yourself, good luck. Here's a scalpel, give it a shot. He entered in and did the work and restored my mom to health. Same thing with Jesus, the light of the world. He reveals to us what's really going on. He shines a light on the decay and rebellion and sin that's going on. And then he enters in and does the work, recreates us, restores us, and makes us new. Let's pray together as we close. So God, thank you for your goodness to us and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the gracious act of revealing our need for you. Thank you for shining a light into the world 2,000 years ago. And thank you for being our light now that shows us our need to bow before you, to trust in you. God, teach us to humbly submit and place our active trust in you. To humbly submit day by day to the ways in which, Jesus, you still reveal the rebellion in our own hearts. That you still open up those dark places in our soul. That you are still recreating us and regenerating us and sanctifying us and setting us apart and making us more like yourself. Jesus, we praise you and worship you as the light of the world. In Christ's name, God's people together said, amen. Let's stand and sing in response.